You are now listening to the April 6th broadcast of Unity in Christ. This hour, we have Walking Our Talk, Grace Upon Grace, and It's Time to Pray the Bible. First, let's begin with Walking Our Talk. Welcome to Walking Our Talk with Alan and Polly Heller. In this podcast series, Alan and I will discuss material adapted from our book, The Marital Mystery Tour. Join us as we share practical steps to put into action God's principles from His Word, one step at a time. What would you do if a mysterious stranger showed up at your door and said that you and your spouse have inherited a magnificent estate from a fabulously rich relative and he wants to take you there the following morning? For the next few weeks, Alan and I are going to be talking about the Marital Mystery Tour, which guides you and your mate through the vast riches lying beyond the entrance to this estate called your marriage. Oh, isn't that nice? <laughs> I'm looking forward to talking about marriage. Yeah, me too. Well, good. So uh, I wanted to introduce our listeners to this whole topic of Marital Mystery Tour. I mean, the way we uh, founded that title was that we were doing a conference in San Francisco, and that made me think of the Beatles for some reason, and they have the marital, uh, ma- magical mystery That's tour. That's right, the magical mystery yeah, tour. Yeah, so, and, and I thought, well, you know, marriage is such a mystery, and of course to us men, it's really a mystery, and one time Polly said to me, that's for me to know and you to find out. And I'm going, I, I don't know if I can figure this thing out called marriage. And uh, so it started with an idea and to tell them a little bit about how we got into this whole book thing. Well, we had already established a practice of getting away with each other a couple of times a year. And, and we call that a triple R or... Recreation, Romance, and Renewal Weekend. Right. And you can so, find that on our website if you want to get it, walkandtalk.org. Right. So we decided to create a notebook as a, a guide to help other couples get away and how to do a weekend together, how to have fun together, how to play together and pray together. And plan. And plan together. And that's what we would do on our weekends. And... We wanted to try to get it published, and we had friends who were published authors, and they said, well, you know, this would make a good addition to a book, but it won't, it won't stand alone as a book on its own. So we decided then that we should write a whole book on marriage mm-hmm. and include some of the stuff about getting away together for a triple R weekend as part of that book. So we created what we felt like was the biblical as well as practical principles. It's not really a total how-to book as much as here are the values and principles that we feel are the core of making a great marriage, both biblically and uh, practically. And so we came up with five C's, um, 
to be able to remember the five keys, <laughs> right? <laughs> Which right. I still forget. But uh, the first one is comradeship, and you need to be friends before your lovers, and but we need to be both. Commitment. That is, there are no back doors in our relationship. Communication. Of course, you have to communicate and talk with each other and be able to listen and be able to connect with each other in order to build a relationship. And then completeness, and that's dealing with the physical, emotional, and spiritual part of our lives. But we talk about physically how do we connect and um, deal with the sexual part uh, of our relationship, which God is certainly not ashamed to talk about. Song of Solomon, he wrote a whole book about it. And some of that makes us blush, but he's not blushing because he put it together. And then lastly, we talk about consecration, that our marriage is not just for ourselves. It's consecrated before God and unto God, and it's to be a picture of Christ and his church. Uh, I, as the husband, am supposed to be loving you as Christ loved his church and gave himself for her. Washing her with the water of the word is what Ephesians talks about. And so we're looking forward to not just going through those five C's, but um, giving some topics that have to do with each one of those, and hopefully uh, our audience will enjoy the marital mystery tour. Yes. So talk about uh, the first chapter where we, the guy, we have this guy who comes to the door, knocks at the door, and says, wow, we, um, Mr. Michaels comes and says, Welcome to your marital mystery tour. All you see within these grounds belongs to the two of you. My job is to show you how the buildings and des describe all they m may contain for you. And, however, their actual contents will remain a mystery until you take the keys I hand you and explore them for yourselves. So you came up with this idea of this big marital estate uh, or this estate, we're picturing a real estate, real estate, <laughs> and uh, Mr. Michaels comes in his limousine, pulls up, and the first chapter starts with ladies first, and it gives the perspective of a woman, and then it goes gentlemen and gives his perspective because usually our perspectives are very different. We have a lot of differences with men and women. Yeah, it's interesting, Alan, because... In years past, I think it was very much accepted that men and women's brains worked a little bit differently, that people process information differently, they process their emotions differently. Uh, it, it's not such a popular idea now. Uh, it seems like in modern times and contemporary times, uh, People want to wipe out the difference between the sexes. And in fact, some people want to just flip the sexes. And yet they have to understand that the way most men, not every man, but most men tend to be more practical, tend to compartmentalize, put things aside uh, so that they can get 
Well, we're really Moving. good at doing one thing. You know, if we go shopping, we go in the store, we shoot it, we get it, we get out. Right. I, I, you go in shopping, you get 17 dresses, you bring them home, you try them on, and you don't get any of them. <laughs> and I, I don't understand that. But. Well, women tend to integrate life more. So it's right. like one big ball of, well, of wires what, or yeah. spaghetti or things that... Everything gets tangled and related to everything else. And mm. if you say something in the morning that disturbs me, that upsets me, that thing, until we get it resolved, it's going to affect the whole rest of my day. Whereas men tend to say, okay, I had a little flare-up with my wife this morning. Let's jump into bed and everything will be fine. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to set that aside because I have to go to work. I have to take a business trip. I need to clean up the yard. I, yeah, I've got things that I have to do. And so they just set that emotion aside because they have to do something else. So I, I read an article that was uh, in Focus on the Family on their website, and um, the book was called Secure Daughters and Confident Sons, and Glenn Stanton talks about some of the differences with male and females, and I, I just, you know, he said, uh, males are more explorative. Every boy and every man is on a quest. You know, <laughs> we love adventure, determines to deliver the goods. We always want to make sure we get the goal done. Uh, they need to know what's next. I mean, you have to, I say to some of my counselors or women that w are talking with men, you know, you, you need to hit him with a telephone pole. Then he will actually get it, uh, not just sort of softly try and tell him or, you know. Uh, Come around the side, like give yeah, it a big Yeah, you got to go totally frontal. <laughs> yeah. Men are opportunistic. They take chances. They're an initiator. They are active and usually aggressive. And they're competitive. And they like to dominate. And not that women can't have those characteristics, but women tend to be confidently enticing, unlike the male who must go out into the world and find his destiny. The woman possesses her future within herself. She has a hidden but deep confidence in this. And she values intimacy above action. And she tends to be more relational than looking at just the objective. Uh, she's wisely, selectively receptive. She prefers modesty. She's caring. She uses words. Words. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Men grunt, groan, and uh-huh. <laughs> and women want more. Uh, what is it? They, you know, Men have 10,000 words and they use them all up at work and then they have nothing to talk about when they get home and <laughs> women have 20,000 and they're still talking at 100 miles per hour per word. Um, she wields a soft power which shapes um, her humanity. Women have the ability to wield great and subtle influence in marriage and domestic relationship. They like connecting. Females are wired to connect. They, they are built for relationship. And men need those things, but we just, we're not very good at it usually. Yeah, so that's sort of the premise of writing this book from first a lady's first perspective and then and gentlemen. So why don't you give them a little example in the book just of what that looks like? 
Right. So when the book begins, there's a knock at the door and the woman in the book, we don't we don't name these people. That's just a a lady and a gentleman, a a husband and a wife. And so she comes to the door. What does she do? They're both experiencing the same circumstances all the way through the book. But they're told first from the way the woman experiences and then from the way the man the man experiences those same circumstances. So there's a knock at the door, the woman goes and answers the door, and there's this very well-dressed, put-together individual standing there, and he introduces himself as Mr. Michaels, and as, as you said earlier, he announces to this woman that she and her husband have inherited this wonderful estate and it's called your marriage and he's going to come back the next day. So how does she as a woman react to this guy? Oh, she is, she, she well, she's not exactly sure, but she gets pretty excited about uh-huh. it. And so she, but he leaves and she opens the door and there's nobody there. He, like he's gone. Mm. So immediately he's sort of a mysterious character and she goes back and tells her husband in the house, he's paying bills or doing something at his desk. And she tells him, oh, this most amazing thing happened and we're going to go on this trip where this man is gonna come and pick us up and take us to our estate tomorrow. And and he's just, the husband is just sort of nodding. Right, uh, like right. what yeah. happens when these people knock on our door and they wanna sell us something and immediately you're, you're the yes person, I'm the no person and and I'm just going, why are you entertaining this person <laughs> that you didn't ask for them to come to the door? Yeah. So the next morning, she's trying to figure out, well, what should I wear and what should I do? And um, should I dress? You know, what should I put on? Should I be casual or should I be dressy? And she chooses her clothes very carefully. And then she goes to get her husband and he's completely forgotten about it. He's just in a t-shirt. He's got too many and, things going. And he and and then all of a sudden there comes this knock at the door and Mr. Michaels is back to pick them up and uh and her husband goes out out the door with Mr. Michaels and she just can't believe that he is actually gone with him and she's all upset because he's all messy looking mm. and uh but when she gets out to the car all of a sudden he's all kind of put together. He has a nice shirt on and his hair is combed. And So he wants to impress Mr. Michaels probably. She does want to impress Mr. Michaels. No, I mean, but, he does. Well, no. It's like, oh, how did he get changed like this? How did his clothes get changed? And his, he was just in a t-shirt and jeans and now he's got his hair Well, now he knows the his... objective. We got to get out of here. <laughs> well, I think that Mr. Michaels just sort of blinked and did something... mysteriously magical to change up her husband. And he doesn't even notice. He's so clueless, he doesn't even realize that the clothes that he's wearing have changed. But she sees it right away and starts wondering, what's going on with this Mr. Michaels guy? Now, at the same time, we, we tell this story from the husband's perspective. And he's been sitting there, just sort of half listening to his wife jabbering in the background, he's not really paying any attention to her. So when when Mr. Michaels comes to the door and she comes bursting into his room, he's like, 
yeah, yeah, right. And then he walks out the door, and there's this amazing limousine there. Mr. Michaels is all... Just like going to the Oscars or something. Right. And so he starts to think, wow, well, maybe there is something to this. Right. Um, so it goes on from there in terms of right. each chapter talks about the woman's point of view and then the male's point of view. And then we give a little bit about our life and our story. Right. right. So it's a it's a cute little way to talk about the things that are different with men and women. Right, right. To just enter in. It's a framework that we can use to build on these principles of marriage. And what do you think is, what what do you want the reader to get from that kind of perspective? Well, I think what I want the reader to see is that it's okay to have differences in your marriage. Mm-hmm. It you're not the only couple who have these gender differences. The man is going to see things one way. Just even if you were just two people, every person has a different perspective in life. And then you add into that mix the male-female differences that are just sort of built into us. You're, you are going to see things differently, and you are going to process information differently, and the woman will tend to be more emotional, and the husband will tend to just be more um, practical and action-oriented, and that's that's okay. Right. So I don't want you to be trying to change me into a woman or or a woman into a, a man. And I mean, that's where our culture, I think, gets a little bit um, cockeyed because what they're trying to do is say, well, there are no differences. And yet God said from the very beginning in Genesis 1, I created them male and female. I created them. And so he says from the very beginning, he created two different people and uh, with two different ways of looking, talking, being. And, and so we can't change the design of God. We can try, but it's not going to be very successful. Well, and I just think of the way we watch television. You're, you immediately go to the sports and news channels, and you want to see what's happening and who's winning and who's losing. And um, you're a lot more sensitive than a lot of guys out there. But oh, thanks, you, honey. Yeah, <laughs> it's, I, true, it's true. I don't ever hear that very often, so that's sort of a nice compliment. But you still like to watch the basketball I'm still a man, and the yes. football mm-hmm. and figure out the plays and who's going to, how are they going to the do it? Who, yeah. Oh, you know, now they're going to do an end run or they're going to have to do a, a you know, they're, he's going to pass here. He's yeah. going to, they're going to try to do this. And it's just part of a guy's natural competitiveness and action oriented, uh, want to see the results kind of thing. Whereas I want to go and w- watch, um, uh, stories. I I like to watch movies, and e- even when we watch movies, you you like to watch more the detective crime things. And I want to see the romance and the things that have more uh, character building, <laughs> and, uh, and just and a typical chick flick. Uh, yes. Yeah, and that it doesn't have to be light and fluffy. But I like to see how the characters develop and how they solve their problems. All right. So as we wrap up this time. <laughs> We're t- 
talking about the marital mystery tour, and we're talking about this estate that we have called marriage. And the first stop will be comradeship, and we'll talk about that next time. And um, I just wanted to give a little bit of uh, one of the uh, in our workshop we that we do. We talk about friendship. Friendship is the comfort of feeling safe in another's presence, having neither to weigh words nor measure thoughts, but casting them forth just as they are, wheat and chaff, together, confident that a tender hand will sift them carefully. Keep what is worth keeping, and with the breath of kindness, blow the rest away. So we will talk about comradeship, friendship, uh, next time. We look forward to seeing you on Walking Your Talk with Alan and Polly Heller. Till next time, see you then. This has been Walking Our Talk with Alan and Polly Heller, where we put into action those principles we know from God's Word, one step at a time. You can find more help at our website, walkandtalk.org.
Coming up next is a sermon by Pastor Bill Malter of Arizona Community Church. Today's topic is Ordinary Heroes. I hope you have a blessed time with Pastor Bill. Ordinary people act with heroic faith, and I hope this series proves to be a blessing to you. Well, I was recently reading an article in a travel magazine, and it started by asking a couple of interesting questions, and I want to pose those questions today. And so here they are. The first question that was posed in this article was, have you ever been sick of the way things are run in your country? Oh, you want to talk about dividing the church? I could divide it right over there over that question. Yeah. How many of you, I'm not talking now, I don't, I'm not talking current politics, I, as you know, I avoid the issue of politics from the pulpit, I don't even like to go there, but how many of you have ever felt this way, that uh, you've been sick about something in this country? Okay, yeah, everybody's hands should go up, right? The second question that they posed was this, have you ever found yourself muttering, if only I were in charge? Yeah, some of you think you're in charge, right? How many of you would like to be in charge? It's interesting, if you could change one thing right now, what would you change? Don't say it, but it's an interesting question to ask. It was a good way to start this article because it drew me in. The article, which is very interesting, goes on to point that some people who are asking these questions are actually doing something about it. Believe it or not, people are actually starting their own countries. Did you know you could do this? Think about it. You could start your own country and have your own football team, right? These are called, they're starting countries, and these countries are called micronations. They are called micronations, and they are a real thing. Basically, a micronation is a legally unrecognized country that lays claim to land that is either disputed or its members believe to be unadopted. So you see a plot of land over there, and you go, hey, nobody's using it. I'm going to go start my own country, right? I'm going to be el presidente, right? I get to be the president. I get to be... I get to make the decisions, I get to have the football league, all of that, it's all yours. What's interesting is that within the last 10 or 15 years, the number of micro-nations are growing. There are now over 100 micro-nations in the world today. Recently, there has been talk of the state of California seceding from the United States to form its own independent country. I did not encourage that applause, but I appreciate it. Trust me, I grew up in California. The first, cl- the first hour, they went full-on applause when I said that. And depending on where you are, I think there's a lot of us that wouldn't mind seeing California secede and make its own country. But anyway, I don't, again, I don't want to get into politics. You know what you can do? You can actually go online, and there are websites that will teach you step-by-step how to start your own micronation. I'm just curious. How many of you think you're living with somebody that would start their own micronation? How many of you are that? Yeah, so we got only one person in this... Okay, so we don't have any nation builders here. Do we have any nation builders here? Okay, we got a couple. Okay, good. All right. So here's the deal. The reason I tell you this is because this morning we are going to be looking at a married couple that lived about 4,000 years ago who by faith started their own micronation. In other words, it was a nation that started really, really small. But the amazing thing is that nation still exists to this day. 4,000 years later, that nation still exists today. So it is on that note, church, it is my honor to present to you the word of God this morning. We will be in Hebrews chapter 11. Of course, this is the hall of faith, and this is where we are spending the next couple of weeks. So church, be blessed by the word of God. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in a land of promise, as in a foreign land, 
living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Goes on to say this, by faith, Sarah. Now, Sarah is Abraham's wife. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand on the seashore. So church, I present to you the word of God this morning. So you want to know the power of faith, the absolute staggering power of faith? It is right here in our passage today. The Bible says by faith, Abraham and Sarah literally started a nation. It might have started as a micro nation, but that nation still exists to this very day. You heard me right. Abraham and Sarah literally started a nation of people that still exist today. That is the nation of Israel. You can literally turn on the news at night and you will see news about Israel. You know what you won't see on the news? News about the Hittites or the Perizzites or the Amorites. Those are other nations that existed in the Old Testament that no longer exist today. But you will hear news about the nation of Israel. So the next time you find yourself asking a question, oh, I don't know, a question like this, what can my faith accomplish? What can one person with a little bit of faith accomplish? Folks, the next time you find yourself asking this question, stop and remember Abraham and Sarah. Remember a couple living in the Middle East 2,000 years ago with very little education who by faith started a nation that still exists to this day. And guess what? Abraham and Sarah are no different than you and me. They were ordinary people who stepped out in heroic faith. And that faith ended up changing the world as we know it. Now, here's the deal. I suppose we shouldn't be surprised at the power of faith. Because Jesus himself talked about the absolute staggering power of faith. Let me say right now, the, most, the, the best thing that you have going for you right now, the most powerful thing that you have in you right now, it is not your pension. It is not the country you live in. It is not the family you came from. It is not your good looks or your intelligence. It's none of that. The best thing that you have going for you right now is your faith in a God who can do anything. Listen to the absolute staggering power of faith as Jesus described in Matthew chapter 17. And when they came to the crowd, a man came up to him, that is Jesus, and kneeling before him and said, Lord, have mercy on my son. For he has seizures and he suffers terribly. So here's a father in anguish. For often he falls into the fire and often into the water. And I brought him to your disciples and they could not heal him. And Jesus answered, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon and it came out of him. And the boy was healed instantly. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, here it is, folks, because of your little faith for truly. Now, listen to this. You want to know the absolute staggering power of faith? Here it is. One of the most shocking statements in all the Bible is right here. For truly, I say to you, Jesus says, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move. And nothing will be impossible for you. Again, folks, if you are sitting here today, 
The reminder to you is the best thing that you have going for you. It is not the country that you were born in or the family that you came from. It is not your pension or your bank account. It is not your good looks or your incredible wit. It is the fact that you have faith in the living and true God with whom nothing is impossible. Amen? Amen. Folks, the Bible makes one thing clear over and over again, and that is this. Faith is a difference maker. It is a game changer. One person with a little bit of faith can literally move mountains, can literally start nations. By the way, this is fascinating. This, that faith, the faith that Abraham and Sarah used to start the nation of Israel was the same faith that later generations of Israelites used to conquer nations. Did you hear that? The same faith that started the nation of Israel is the same faith that future Israelites used to conquer nations. Why do I say that? Because that's exactly what it says in a little bit later in the book of Hebrews. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell you of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, and David, and Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered nations. Again, you want to know the power of faith? Faith not only has the power to start nations, faith has the power to conquer nations. So, exactly how did Abraham and Sarah come to start an entire nation of people? Well, let's dig into this. Let's look first at Abraham. Before Abraham uh, was called Abraham, he was called something else. Do you guys know what his name was? Abram. It was Abram. Close to Abraham, but it was Abram. And Abram was a pagan man living in the Middle East. He was a pagan man living in the Middle East, living in the land of Ur. Now, I got news for you. If you ever start a country, don't name it Ur. Where are you from? I'm from Ur. So here's the deal. God created Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve had many descendants. God then flooded the earth. And then Noah and those that came off the the ark had many descendants. And then there was the, the Tower of Babel. And at the Tower of Babel, God spread out the nations. There was still no nation of Israel at this point, but he confused the languages and the people spread out over the earth. And then God called one man. The man named Abram. And this became the foundation of the nation of Israel. So he was a pagan man and God called him. Now here's the deal. This is very important. In October, I teach a class called 90 Minutes Through the Bible. I'm going to teach it this October. And if you've never taken it, I try to make the Bible as simple as possible. But let me make the Bible incredibly simple right now. Here's the whole Bible in a nutshell. The Old Testament is all about God forming a nation the nation of Israel. And the New Testament is all about the Messiah coming to that nation, the nation of Israel. That's it, the Old and New Testament. It is about God forming the nation of Israel and about the Messiah coming to the nation of Israel. So in the very first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis, God calls Abram to step out and follow him, to go to a land that he has never seen before. Now here's what's interesting. I lived in Los Angeles about 25 years ago. And when I lived in Los Angeles, I was a youth pastor. And when I was a youth pastor, I had to get around. I had to take the youth down to the beach. We went every Wednesday to the beach. It was called Beach Days. And I was driving all over LA. And if you've never lived in LA, it is big and it is confusing. And 25 years ago, we didn't have Google Maps. You know what we used 25 years ago? Yeah, we used actual maps, paper maps. Now, everybody in here, I think, is old enough. Everybody's in here used paper maps, right? How many of you guys have ever used the, it was called the Thomas Guide? The Thomas, remember the Thomas Guide? Yeah, it was a big fat book and you carried it around your car. If you needed to get somewhere, you'd go to your Thomas Guide. Here's the deal. 
This is how unique a time we are living in. You can literally speak into your phone, I wanna go to this place in New York City. From Arizona, you can go, I wanna go to Fifth Street in New York City, and you will get a line-by-line description in your phone telling you how to get there. Your phone will literally tell you, you are 500 feet away from taking a right. That's incredible. As a matter of fact, how many of you have an iWatch? Who has an iWatch in here, anybody? Seriously, we all, there's only six of us in here with iWatches. You might want an iWatch after I tell you what it can do. Your iWatch, literally, if you're getting directions from your phone, if you don't hear your phone, your phone will tell your iWatch that it's time to take a right and it'll vibrate. So if you miss, you know, if you've ever been driving and you, you can't hear what your phone is saying, it'll vibrate and it'll tell you this is where you go right. That is the power of the technology we have. 20 years ago, we were still using paper maps. Why is that significant? Because we look at 20 years ago and we go, that was the Stone Ages. Folks, you want to know what the Stone Ages are? When there were no maps. And that's when Abraham lived. When Abraham was called to leave the land of Ur and go to a land, that land was unknown to him. He had no idea where God was leading him. Abram was told to leave what he knew and follow God to what he has never seen. And history records that is exactly what Abram did. It was because Abram stepped out in faith that the nation of Israel's foundation was put in place. Here's why this is important. Whatever you do in this lifetime, do not judge your life. Do not judge what is great by worldly standards. Do not judge what is great by worldly standards. You want to know what greatness is? It is one man stepping out in faith. That's greatness. That is it. By God's standards, that's greatness. One man stepping out in faith to follow God into the unknown. Last week, we talked about Noah. What did Noah do? Noah cut down a tree to start the ark. You want to know what greatness is? It is one man in a forest by himself cutting down a tree. You want to know what greatness is? It is one man leaving what he knows, all he knows, and stepping out in faith to follow God into what is unknown. Whatever you do in this lifetime, do not judge what is great by worldly standards. Again, you may never do anything that will get your name into the local paper or on the nightly news. It doesn't matter. As long as you are a person of faith in this generation, your name will echo in the halls of heaven and before the throne of grace itself. You play for an audience of one. We play for an audience of one, don't we? Do we not? Amen, we do. Abraham put one foot in front of another and the nation of Israel literally took shape. Now, God did something interesting after Abraham did this. You want to know what greatness looks like? There it is. Once Abraham took that first step, God did something interesting. He changed his name. Now, God often changes names in the Bible because when he changes a person's name, it means that he's changing their overall purpose. He's changing where they're going. And the Bible says that when Abraham stepped out, it says this, No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be called Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. So from his descendants, Abraham's descendants, not only came the Israelites, but the Edomites and the Ishmaelites. But here's what it says. But your name shall be Abraham, for I've made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. So Abraham literally means father of many or father of multitudes. Folks, it was Abraham's faith, a faith that followed God into the unknown that caused him to become the father of a nation, a nation whose descendants are still going strong to this day, 4,000 years later. 
I love what the Bible says. It says, therefore from one man and him as good as dead. Now, the reason that's important is because there's some of you in here today and you're sitting here going, that's me. I'm as good as dead, right? I've lived my life. My yet best years are behind me. God, you know, I had my day, but it's someone else's day. Says who? Says who? Folks, you want to know what heroic faith looks like? It's stepping out in faith to follow God when you are not totally sure where God might be leading you, no matter what's your age, no matter what's your place in life. If you are willing to step out and follow God into the unknown, when God calls you and says, step out in faith, if you are willing to do this, then you can do that which is great in God's eyes. Again, do not use worldly standards to judge your life. You will probably never do anything that will get your name into the local paper or onto the nightly news. But if you're willing to do this, something as simple as that, you can do that which is great in God's eyes. One man cutting down a tree in a forest, one man taking, putting one foot in front of another. This is greatness in God's eyes. That's exactly what it says. And he went out not knowing where he was going. He had no idea. But isn't that just like the God we follow? Let me ask you this. How many of you in your life, God has called you into a new chapter or a new season of your life and he didn't tell you all the details? How many of you are in one of those chapters right now, right? It's like, God's like, hey, here we go. Here's the next chapter. Here, we're turning the page and you turn the page and you're like, God, just give me some details. And God's like, no, just follow. I'm gonna lead you to a place and I'm not gonna give you all the details along the way. The Bible says we live by faith and not by sight. So much easier to live by sight. God, let me live by sight. And God says, no, we live by faith and not by sight. Abraham did just that. Abraham was a man who lived by faith and not by sight. He had to because he had no idea where God was leading him. He had no maps to look at. He left what he knew to follow God to what was unknown. Abraham's faith reminds me of the first disciples. That's exactly what they did, by the way. They stepped out and followed Jesus, even though Jesus didn't tell them a whole lot. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting nets into the sea, and they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me. Now, he does give them one little detail. He says, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. But that's about it. That's all he tells them. Just follow me. Step out in faith and follow me, and watch what I'll do with you. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there... He saw two brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately, they left the boat and their father and followed him. Listen very carefully. By faith, Abraham and Sarah started a nation, but it was that same faith that future Israelites conquered nations, and it was by that same faith that these Israelites started a movement even greater than the nation of Israel. It is the church. You want to know the power of faith? You want to know the absolute staggering power of faith? Here it is. God taking fishermen, ordinary fishermen, and starting a movement to change the world forever. Faith can start nations. Faith can conquer nations. Faith in the hands of God can start movements that can change the world and change people's lives and save their souls. That's what heroic faith looks like. It is stepping out in faith, even when God doesn't give you all the details. And you know what? Like I said, that's how God most often operates. You may not like it. I certainly don't. There's been times when God says, Bill, step out in faith. And I'm like, please don't do this to me. 
But that's how God often does things. He calls us to step out in faith and he doesn't tell us every last detail. And then you know why he does this, by the way? And we're going to look at this a little bit next week. He does this, I think, primarily. He's testing us. He's willing to see, you know, you hear about me. You read about me. You're in Bible studies talking about me. You sing songs about me. But will you follow me? Let me test your faith. Let me put it to the test and see what happens. But regardless of why God does it, this is his modus operandi. He calls us to step out even though we don't totally know where our feet are going to land. Folks, it was this factor, though. One man willing to follow God into the unknown. One man. You want to know the first step in the formation of the nation of Israel? It was a literal step. The first step, the nation of Israel 4,000 years ago, was a literal step. It was one man doing that. That's greatness, guys. That's what great faith looks like. By worldly standards, this might not mean anything to the world. They go, so what? But what did I say? We do not judge greatness based upon worldly standards. If you do, every single person in this room, by and large, probably has done nothing heroic. But if you judge greatness by this, then everyone in this room probably has. And you know what? You will never probably be given an opportunity in this lifetime to do anything heroic by worldly standards. But I guarantee you, you will be given daily opportunities to do that. To step out in faith and follow God. You will be given those opportunities all the time. But listen, this, this one step wasn't the only thing that that started the nation of Israel. Because Abraham had a wife and her name was Sarah. And this is what this passage says. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even though she was past the age. Since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead, were born descendants as many of the stars as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of the sand of the seashore. So to make a long story very short, Abraham stepped out in faith and followed God into the unknown. But when he did that, he said to God, he goes, okay, God, I'm following you to this land I've never seen before, but I have a problem. And the problem is I don't have a son. And it's important that Abraham has a son because if you don't have a son, you don't have descendants. And if you don't have descendants, then you don't have a nation. And if you don't have a nation, then you don't have a Messiah to come to that nation. Remember I told you the Old Testament and the New Testament, the Bible is very easy. It is about the formation of the nation of Israel and the Messiah coming to that nation of Israel. But without a son, you have no descendants. And without any descendants, you do not have a nation. And without a nation, you do not have a Messiah. So God promises Abraham and Sarah, you're going to have a son. Relax. You're going to have a son. But there's just one problem. And the one problem is Sarah is way too old. Abraham's as good as dead. And his wife, well, you can kiss her goodbye too. She's well past her childbearing years. But thankfully, Sarah has faith. She has faith in the power of God. And it was because of that faith that Sarah bore a son. Her son's name was Isaac. So listen, Abraham has Isaac. Isaac has a son. You know that son's name, Jacob. Jacob... There's this incident in the Old Testament where Jacob wrestles with God. He gets into this wrestling match with God. And after the wrestling match, God changes Jacob's name. Just like he changed Abraham's name, he changes Jacob's name. Do you know what he changed his name to? Israel. And you know what the name Israel means? It means contends with God or wrestles with God. So he wrestles with God and God changes his name to wrestles with God. So, but here's the point. Abraham has Isaac. Isaac has Jacob. Jacob is, wrestles with God and is 
God changes his name to Israel. Israel goes on to have 12 sons that become the 12 tribes of Israel. And one of those tribes is Judah. And guess who comes from the tribe of Judah? Jesus. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah. Abraham has Isaac. Isaac has Jacob. Jacob wrestles with God and is given the name Israel. Israel has 12 sons. They become the 12 tribes of Israel. One of those tribes is Judah. And from Judah comes Jesus, who is the lion of the tribe of Judah. But it all comes back to this. One man who is willing to step out into the unknown and one woman who was to believe God for what seemed impossible. And it was those two small acts of faith that birthed a nation. You do not need to go online to know how to start your own micro nation. You want to know how to start a nation? Walk in faith before your God. Now I want to point something out, and this is very important. We can get the impression when we read the Bible that all these people, when they stepped out in faith, it was easy for them. It wasn't always easy for them. And a perfect example of that is Sarah. So this is the actual story from the Old Testament, but let me read it to you. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. So Sarah's being a little cunning here. She's eavesdropping, okay? And Sarah was listening to them, tent door behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of woman had ceased to be with Sarah, okay? In other words, she wasn't having any more kids. So Sarah, when she heard this news, laughed to herself saying, after I am worn out and my Lord is old, that is Abraham's really old. She throws her husband under the bus there. Shall I have this pleasure? So she's like, ha, ha. Now let me just stop right now. How many of you, whenever you've, you maybe listen to a sermon or you listen to a podcast and you heard a promise of God and you said, ha, ha, ha. That's for other people. It's not for me. That's exactly what Sarah did. But listen to what it says. The Lord said, Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Now listen to this. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Folks, like Sarah, we too might find ourselves struggling to have faith in God's power. We might, like Sarah, to this day, right now, there are probably many of you in here going, who am I that God would use me? I'm too old. I'm too this. I'm to that. I, God can't use me in my circumstances because my circumstances will prevent God from doing great things. Folks, that is worldly thinking. Whatever you do, do not judge greatness by worldly standards. God can use anyone at any time in any situation for great purposes if they're willing to do something as simple as that. Putting one foot in front of the other. You want to know what greatness looks like? It's one man, Noah, cutting down a tree in a forest all by himself. Nobody noticed that he did it, but he did it. And from that one tree, he built the ark. You want to know what greatness looks like? It's one man being called to leave what he knew to go to what he had never seen that was willing to do that. That is greatness. The world will look at this and go, that's not great. We should expect as much. The world does not think like they should. Do they, they do not think in biblical terms. Again, folks, you'll probably never even have the opportunity to do anything heroic by worldly standards in this lifetime. But I guarantee you, every day you wake up, you will have the opportunity to do that for the Lord. Amen? And that. The literal, the first step in the formation of the nation of Israel was a literal step. And the first step in Isaac being born was a woman who said, I'm in impossible circumstances, but I believe in a God who can do anything. 
She struggled at first, but you know what happened? Her sarcastic laughter turned to heroic faith and she believed. At some point, the laughter stopped and she said, wait a minute, I believe that the God that called my husband and me, the God that has provided for us and has gone before us and has led us into this land, if that God can do that, then he can do this. And again, how impossible was it for Abraham and Sarah to have, I love this, and him as good as dead. I love that description. And it's important because I know there's many of us in here. And there's times in my life I'm going, I have that mentality. I'm as good as dead. God can't use me anymore. I'm past my prime. I'm this, I'm that. There's no way God could use me. And I have to stop myself in those moments and go, Bill, you're thinking like the world. I may be standing before a door that is shut, solid, made of steel, that there's no way that I could see or anyone else can see that door being open. But guess who can open that door? God can't. There's not a door that God cannot open. Sarah was barren. Abraham was old. And yet by faith, here comes Isaac. And from Isaac comes Jacob. Jacob is renamed Israel. And from Israel comes the 12 tribes of Israel. One of those tribes being Judah. And from Judah comes who? Jesus. And Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah. So the next time you're wondering, what can my faith accomplish? Who am I? I'm not that educated. I'm not that gifted. I'm a little bit old. I'm a little bit this. I'm a little bit that. You stop yourself right there in that moment and you remind yourself that two people, one couple in the Middle East 4,000 years ago, highly uneducated. Folks, I guarantee you, you know so much more than Abraham and Sarah ever knew. If they could see you, they would bow down to you for the amount of knowledge and education and everything that you possess. They would stop and stand in awe of who you are. And yet this one couple 4,000 years ago with nothing stepped out in faith and believed God. And from that belief came a nation of people that still is thriving to this day. Abraham stepped out into the unknown and Sarah believed in God for the impossible. But guess what? That is then, this is now. God had raised them up in their generation. Guess who he has raised up in this generation? You and me. And I've said it before and I'll say it again. There's nothing accidental about your life. You were born into this generation for such a time as this, right? Ephesians 2.10, for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus, which he prepared in advance for us to do. You were born into the family that you were born into, into this country for such a time as this. You are here for a reason. Believe it and walk in faith before the God that created you. Amen? Do not shy away from the opportunities that God sets before you. He has prepared those for you. When he calls you to, to do this, I know it's hard. Believe me, I've been there. It is so terribly hard. And I know in a room this size with this many people, there are some of you, you're starting that new chapter. You are literally at the beginning of a new season, new chapter. You're like, I'm going to take that step and it's scary. Take it. And there's others of you in here. God has set something before you and it seems impossible. There's no way, God, that you could do that. Folks, when you find yourself there, you stop and you turn back to Abraham and Sarah and you remember what they did and what they accomplished. So I have a question. Who is going to be the Abraham and Sarah of this generation? Will you step out in faith and follow God into the unknown? Will you step out in faith and believe God for the impossible? Why not you? Do not resign yourself to the type of thinking that says, God can't use me. I'm too old or the circumstances just can't happen. They can. If you have faith, God can do anything. There is no limit. So I finish with these questions. Where is God asking you to step out in faith and follow him? Where is God asking you to trust him for what seems impossible? 
Now you can find all the programs of Heart and Soul Ministries on podcast. You can easily play this week or past week's programs, or you can even download them to your vice in only a few minutes. Try to search for Heart and Soul Gospel Ministries at your iTunes store now. Coming up next is, It's Time to Pray the Bible. Hello, my name is Deborah Joy. I am the host of this program, It's Time to Pray the Bible. 
I would like to start this program by asking you the following questions. Do you desire to cultivate a closer, more intimate and loving relationship with God through experiencing the power of His Word and prayer? Have you ever struggled over how to pray effectively? 1 John chapter 5 verses 14 and 15 promise us that this is the confidence which we have before Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request which we have asked from Him. What a powerful promise! When we pray His Word, we pray according to His will, which leads us to experience the power of His living Word and His faithful answers to our prayers. Also, Psalm 1 verses 1 through 3 promise us, How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. And in whatever he does, he prospers. Strong's definition of the Hebrew word for meditate is Hagah, which means to imagine, ponder, mutter, speak, study, and talk. From this context, we can learn that we are not only called to meditate and study the Bible, but are also invited to pray out loud until His Word is deeply rooted in our hearts. Are you ready? to embark on this journey with me to discover God's heart of extravagant love and know His ways through learning to pray His eternal word and experiencing His answers to your prayers? Let's begin this journey. Today's scripture reading is from Psalm 27, verses 4 through 8. David wrote this poetic praise to God as a worshiper before he was anointed as king. This word invites us into a personal quest of seeking God and His glorious presence through relentless pursuit, which has originated from Father's heart of passionate love for us. In this 27th chapter, David expressed his passionate love for God in adoration, praise, and true worship. Let's read Psalm 27, verses 4 through 8 together. One thing I have asked from the Lord that I shall seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will conceal me in his tabernacle. In the secret place of his tent, he will hide me. He will lift me up on a rock. And now my head will be lifted up above my enemies around me. And I will offer in his tent 
sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing, yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice, and be gracious to me and answer me. When you said, Seek my face, my heart said to you, Your face, O Lord, I shall seek. Is this the cry of your heart towards God today? Our Heavenly Father desires for us to seek Him with all of our hearts. He is worthy of our highest praise. With hearts of adoration and praise to Him, let's begin praying this word together and lifting His glorious name in adoration and worship. Father, I have desired one thing. I seek it above all else. I want the privilege of living with you every moment in your presence, finding the sweet loveliness of your face, filled with awe, delighting in your majesty, glory, and grace. Your greatness overwhelms me by your stunning beauty and splendor. I want to live my life so close to you that you take pleasure in my every prayer. You are the Lord who is worthy of our highest praise. I surrender all to you and worship you with all of my heart, breathtaking brilliance and awe-inspiring majesty radiate from your shining presence. Father, in the time of trouble, hide me in your secret place of holiness where I am safe and secure. In your presence, I will bring you my offerings of praise and shouts of ecstatic joy. God, hear my heart cry. Show me your mercy and grace. My heart has heard you say, seek my face. My heart responds, I'm seeking your face with all my heart. Your presence is peace joy, and full provision for every situation. I desire to experience the fullness of your eternal love. May everything I do flow from a heart of pure and holy devotion to you. In Jesus' mighty name, I pray. Amen.
We are now ending our Unity in Christ broadcast. Thank you for listening, and I look forward to being with you again next week. Thank you.